This evening we're reading from James, starting from chapter 1, verse 19, which is page 1212 in the Church Bible. My dear brothers and sisters, take take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are you not, are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Good to see you all this evening. Um, Let's just pray as we come to God's word. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Father God, we do pray that you would enable us this evening to listen, to listen intently. But we pray that we would go from here doing what it says. 
In Jesus' name, Amen. One of our uh, mission statements as a church is to equip each other to love Christ wholeheartedly and to live out the gospel in all of life. And James is a great place to turn in the Bible to help us uh, to do that because it's all about faith in action. It can be quite a hard book to work out exactly what the structure of the book is. But I think it, the book can be summed up in one of the verses from the passage that we've uh, had read to us this evening. It's verse 21 of chapter 1, which I just read then, which says, Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Last week we, uh, we finished that tough passage on trials and uh, temptations and we finish it with the encouraging words of verse 17 and 18 have a look up just a few verses above verse 17 says every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Do you remember we said God the Father doesn't change, he's always generous, he always knows what we need, and he always wants to give it to us. His greatest gift is the word of truth, the gospel. And he gave us the word for a purpose, to give us birth, to give us life. We were dead in our sins, but he's raised us to life, and he did that for a purpose, that we might become the first fruits, that we might become specially his, we might belong to him. And so we concluded by saying our ability to rejoice in our trials depends on how much we see God as a generous God and how much we really want to grow in our faith and become like Jesus Christ himself. How much we are prepared to persevere through current trials in order to receive the crown of life one day. It's a word of truth that will save us. But it's the word implanted in us that enables us to live our lives in a godless world as we wait to receive the crown of life. And before James comes on to explain what that looks like, he reminds us um, that we first need to listen, to listen to and humbly accept the word. Have a look at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now when we read that, it's easy to immediately assume he's talking about human relationships. And uh, that is included. But I think before he gets there, he's actually referring to our response to God. Because in verse 21 he he continues, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And he goes on, Do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but who does not do it, etc., etc. So the question we have to ask ourselves before we think about our actions is how can we better at listening to God's word? If you've been coming to the previous series we did on uh, reading the Bible, 
the whole purpose of that was to encourage us all just to slow down, to, to read the word, to observe before jumping to the meaning and application. Because our problem is we live life in a rush, don't we? We want to take shortcuts, we want to jump to the conclusion. We don't want to have to do the hard work to, to get there. And so we have on our phones, we have uh, apps which um, make it quicker for us to get somewhere rather than going to the website. Um, I read uh, a magazine called The Week, which is a digest of the weekly news articles because it's quicker. And the trouble is, if we try and do that with God's word, it can be like the seed that Jesus described in his parable that um, fell on the path and the birds came and picked it up and snatched it away. It won't sink down into our hearts, but just will remain on the surface and Satan will take it away. There's no substitute for spending time in God's word. But of course, it's not just about spending a lot of time reading it, because we can do that and end up not actually being changed at all. We have to come with the right attitude to the word. We need to prepare the soil to receive the seed. And to do that, we're told here, we, we have to get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. In other words, we have to put aside our own selfish desires and humbly accept what God knows is best for us. We have to come with humility, it says, which means putting aside what we think is right, what we think it should say, and accept God's instruction for us. Which I think is what James means when he says we should be slow to speak, slow to become angry. Just as in human relationships, we're often very quick to, to tell others um, what we think. It's often the same with God. We can sometimes assume we know what um, he says in his word before we've actually read it. And that can become dangerous when we then advise other Christians about what they should do. When we're not giving them biblical advice, we're just giving them worldly advice. Listen and humbly accept the word. But also we need to do the word. And James says the main point in his letter, letter is that if we've truly accepted God's word, then it will be clear in the way we live our lives. Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You can't get much more direct than that, can you? In other words, don't just think that because you come to church on a Sunday, just because you do your quiet times, that that in itself is enough. If you don't allow God's word to change you, then you're just kidding yourself. And James uses this illustration of someone looking at themselves in a mirror and then going away and just forgetting what they look like. You could say, watching a film, and then just immediately forgetting what it was all about. Which happens to me quite often, I think, these days. But um, What we should be doing with God's Word is there in verse 25, looking at it intensely. Remembering that there is a purpose every time we open God's Word, which is to know God better, and know how to love him more. Whether we read one verse or one book of the Bible, it's still the same. 
And to do it doesn't mean there's necessarily a specific action in the sense of we have to go out and proclaim the word, we have to love our neighbor, we have to, to do good. It may be that we've just learned something about God. And it's allowing that to change our lives, allowing us to be more like, like him. We're also not meant to think that we should go out and do God's word in our own strength. Once God has made us aware of something that is lacking in us, he's basically saying to us, come to me and I will give it to you. I will give you the strength to change. Do you remember last week what we looked at? We were, were made aware of the need to consider our trials pure joy. Which was a pretty amazing thing to, to have to do, wasn't it? Why? Because they led to perseverance. And if we persevere, we will one day receive the crown of life. Now that wasn't made to make us feel to, we have to try harder and persevere. But we were told to ask God for wisdom. Ask God for the strength to do that. Because he's a generous God. He wants to give us that wisdom and strength. Look at the, the expression though that um, James uses here to describe the word. He calls it the perfect law that gives freedom. And later on in verse 12 of chapter 2, he again refers to the law that gives freedom. And those who, who are not Christians often criticize Christianity as being about a whole load of rules to keep. And in a book by James, which is full of a lot of uh, commands and exhortations, the danger is we see it this way. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. Don't show favoritism. Look after widows and orphans. Which is why James needs to emphasize this is the law that gives freedom. How does it do that? Well, if you think of how God gave the law to, to Israel, when did it happen? It was after Israel had been released, after they'd been rescued from slavery in Egypt. God didn't give the Israelites a whole bunch of instructions, said, look, if you keep all these perfectly, then I will rescue you from your slavery. I'll do something about it. No, he rescued them first. They just needed to put the, the blood of a lamb on their doorpost to show they trusted in God, that he would rescue them. And having rescued them, he then brought them to Mount Sinai. He gave them the instructions, which were meant to serve as a lifestyle for those who had accepted him as their God. Almost safeguarding the freedom that he had already secured for them. And it's the same for us as Christians. We, we've been saved by Christ. We've been given new birth, new life, we're told here. We belong to him. And now we need to live in a way which corresponds to that new nature. Most people are looking for freedom. But often they've misunderstood what freedom is. In the world side, freedom is, is normally just doing what you want to do. I want to be free to do what I want to do. The trouble is, often that leads then to slavery. Not just for those with more destructive behaviours, but even for those wanting to achieve maybe professional career success. But true freedom is living in the way in which you were designed to live. Understanding the mind of your creator who designed you. And that's why as a group of Christians with same-sex attraction who set up what they called um, the True Freedom Trust. 
because if they set themselves true freedom, contentment and wholeness are found by trusting and following Jesus Christ rather than in sexual attraction. The point James is trying to make here is we have a choice. We can look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and we can do it, in which case he says here we will be blessed or we can ignore it, in which case we're deceiving ourselves. Well, having made clear the need to do the word, to obey the Lord that gives freedom, James looks at three specific examples from everyday life. Have a look at verse 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In short, control your tongue, care for the needy, and be holy. Why these three there? Are they just random? Um, or is there a connection with what's gone before? Well, if you go back to verse 18 of chapter 1, that important verse for the whole letter, then we'll see there's a strong link here. Have a look again at verse 18 of chapter 1. It says there, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That verse links to all these three commands. Control your tongue, care for the needy, be holy. Because it was through God's word that we were saved. Word, speech are important. And it's the same for us. It's important for God, it's the same for us. How we use our tongues can be an incredible blessing and encouragement. Or it can cause incredible damage. It can build people up. And it can tear them down. And we'll look at that more in a couple of weeks' time when we look at chapter 3. Care for the needy. We're told God chose to give us birth. He cared for us when we were still needy. He met our greatest need. There was nothing we could do to repay him for that. In the same way, we're meant to care for those in need. And orphans and widows are two typical groups who are needy and unable to repay us for what we do for them. Be holy. We're told that we become a kind of first fruits. We became his, set apart from the rest of the world. And thereafter we're called to live lives that reflect that we are set apart. And so being holy, keeping oneself from being polluted by the world is again a mark of the believer. It means that in all our decisions we have to consider who it is we are serving. Is it ourselves or is it God? Because the world looks to serve themselves, put their own interests first. And we can easily adopt a life that is um, actually not noticeably different from anybody else around us. And it's interesting that often in, in churches there will often be a greater focus on one or the other of these last two. In some churches it's all about social action, care for the poor. In others it's all about morality and holy living. But of course, James is saying here, it's not one or the other, it's both. We've got to be compassionate, and we've got to seek to live holy lives. And while we do that, let's not talk badly about um, those who don't quite share the same views as ourselves. 
So do you see why these three areas of Christian character, the tongue, care for the needy, be holy, are so important, and why James focuses them on as the key themes in this letter? If we're truly born again, then these characteristics will be in evidence in us. That's not to say they'll be perfect, because none of us is, is perfect, but it should be perceptible that there is a def- difference in us. Well, as we go into chapter 2, James focuses on another area of life in which Christians should be different from the world. And that is a temptation to favoritism. But is this section about favoritism just some wise instruction about another aspect of Christian living? Or again, how does it fit in to, to James's overall argument? Well, it comes back again to chapter 1, verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The reason we have life in Christ is because God chose to give it to us. There was not anything in us that made us somehow worthy of being chosen. He simply chose us. He had mercy on us. In verse 10 of chapter 2, James says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. All of us are guilty. But if we look down at verse 13, we're told that mercy triumphs over judgment. So although we will be judged according to our deeds, the punishment that we are due is taken by Jesus. And we are therefore considered innocent. Now that is what we celebrate here in the Lord's Supper, which we'll do in a minute. And if mercy triumphs over judgment for us, then what James is saying is how can we possibly judge others? Because what partiality or favoritism is all about is actually judging others. And James gives a great example of this to illustrate his point. And that's the the great thing about the book of James, that um, you don't have to come up with your own illustrations because he gives them for us, doesn't he? Look at this one. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. In other words, suppose somebody turns up at church, chauffeur-driven in their Armani suit. And a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. Maybe the local drunk turns up. What does he say? If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's a rhetorical question. The answer, of course, is yes, you have. Uh, The story of a a tramp turning up at a church in uh, in the States and being treated like that, being made to feel uh, pretty unwelcome. It was at the induction service of the... uh, a new pastor of the church, and at the start of the service, one of the elders um, uh, welcomed the congregation, and then I said, I'd like to introduce you to our new pastor, at which point the tramp went to the front, took off his shabby clothes, and introduced himself as the new pastor, much to the embarrassment of those who'd made him feel so unwelcome. What exactly, though, is James saying is wrong with favoritism? 
which basically saying you have been granted mercy and yet you are acting as judges over others and you're judging them by the wrong criteria you're judging them by the criteria of the world and not the criteria of God look at verse 5 chapter 2 listen my dear brothers and sisters has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him but you have dishonoured the poor is it not the rich who are exploiting you are they not the ones who are dragging you into court are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong now he's not saying here being rich in itself is a sin he's saying what gives God the greatest pleasure is those who acknowledge they have nothing to offer God they come in total humility and dependence and the more wealth we have the greater the temptation to think I've done this myself actually I've got a little bit I can offer God maybe he's pleased with me because of that the greater our temptation to put our trust in our wealth to find our enjoyment in our wealth when the greatest thing we can receive is we're told here the kingdom that is why if we've understood mercy then we will naturally want to keep the royal law it says here of loving your neighbour as yourself because we know that they are just as much loved by God as we are and if some, we have something we can share whether it's financial or otherwise it's because God has blessed us with it to bless others verse 9 says if you show favouritism you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers you are showing that you've not really understood mercy now you may think well I'd never act in that way and um and maybe James's illustration is quite um, extreme. But think of all the, maybe just think of all the people you've invited to lunch in the last year. How many of them were needy? How many of them probably wouldn't have been in a position to invite you back? That's not to say we can't invite our mates around for lunch, that's a good thing to do. Um, but are we showing favouritism? In what other ways might we show favouritism and judge? as the world judges well maybe just we, the way we look at people in terms of their potential somebody like him or her could never do that maybe the way in which they can serve in the church there's um, a useful little uh, brochure which FIC produced about their training fund and a number of stories in here about people who have benefited from that fund um, one of those is the story of Tasha Natasha is a young woman who grew up in a Scottish uh, housing estate um, surrounded by poverty and, uh, and deprivation. Uh, she came along to the local youth group um, but was often thrown out because her behaviour was, uh, was so bad. But uh, one Easter Sunday she came to church um, pretty hungover with uh, life in a bit of a mess. But uh, she heard and realised for the first time that the gospel wasn't just for rich people or good people it was also for her her friends were a little bit sceptical uh, of a new faith that she told them about um, but she read the bible with them and uh, in time some of them became Christians she was encouraged to do an internship in a church um, and then um, was part funded by the training fund to be employed as a youth and children's worker 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Let me just close again with verse 12 and 13 as we come to the Lord's table. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As we go out, let me encourage us all with some words that uh, we read this morning together. We've just sung, Jesus is alive. It's the name of Jesus that is powerful. Peter declared, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him. As you can all see, Jesus is alive. Amen.